life surrounded. Troubles abounded. The path I traveled was cast in darkness. The unknown reached out before me and behind me. I was overwhelmed by struggles. I could not forge my own way. I had to rely on another, leaving my past behind in search of the truth. I took wrong turns and ended up farther from where I was meant to be. But there was grace. There was direction that did not fail. I had faith. When creation rose up around me, I glorified my creator. But I still needed his word, a map to show me the way. Together, they guided me home. There was only one way, Christ alone. There is only one true north. Well, good morning. It is good to see those here in Bellingham. Uh, so far, Ron has messed up. Kip has messed up. We're one away from a trifecta. It's all on me. A lot of pressure. Hey, it's good to have you here. Those of you at our Skagit campus, I hope it hasn't been as much of a disaster. No, actually, it hasn't been a disaster. We're so glad that you're with us. And actually, uh, those at Skagit, it was such a blast to be with you last weekend. And I look forward to being with you again a week from tomorrow, actually, for our Christmas Eve Eve services. Uh, good to have you. Those who are uh, at the Trinity Church of God in Boca Raton, glad you're with us again this weekend. And those in Belize uh, with Chris and Katie down there in San Pedro. Um, and those online, good to have you with us. I just want to say before we get into this today. What an honor and a privilege it is to be a, a part of such an amazing group. You know, all fall we talked about becoming more like Christ uh, in this whole aspect of, of generosity. And we saw that generosity, you know, transcends just the monetary part. But on the, uh, the side of generosity that we most, most often think about, I am continuing to get stories trickling in about how you've taken the $10 that you received, how you've multiplied that, you've added to it, and the impact and the generosity. That weekend, I think we gave out about 16, gave away to you about $16,000. But what I've heard is as people have doubled it, tripled it, added 100 to it, the impact has probably been closer to fifty dollars or $60,000. And I'm just grateful for a generous congregation. Yeah, <clears throat> it's amazing. And then in addition to that, this, uh, this last week, not only here, but in Skagit as well, uh, here at Bellingham with the uh, Cornwall at the Mall and the toy store that happened yesterday, and in Skagit with the, toy, uh, the Cornwall Toy Hall and what happened with Young Lives on Friday, uh, just phenomenal. And then in addition to that, the gift of grub that so many of you are or will be participating in. I'm just so grateful that we are continuing to grow into the likeness of Christ when he said, it is far more blessed to give than to receive. And, and just what a, what a blessing that is. So thank you, and uh, man, thank you for letting me to, uh, be a part of, of this group, and what an honor to be able to, to be uh, your pastor. Anyway, um, in 1985, this is starting off like Kip would normally start off. It was the spring of 1985. <laughs> he was two months away from his 21st birthday. All right, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I thought I'd take a break from making fun of Brian and work on Kip a little bit. In, 19, in the spring of 1985, I was in the final quarter of my uh, college career. I was going to get my uh, uh, BA in religion. 
and uh, it was a, a BA, it wasn't a master's, it, I was not in seminary, I had not taken Greek, and not taken Hebrew, but I was in these upper division classes and was coming down to the very end of especially upper division classes in church history, in theology, those kind of things, and that spring, my parents had a, a bucket list dream come true. They took our entire family to Israel and Greece on one of my dad's trips. The problem for me was this two-week trip was about a month before I was supposed to graduate from, from college, and I had these upper division classes I had to finish up, talked with my professors, they gave me the green light. And so I was so excited to go, and, um, and as a, an almost graduated senior of a, of a BA in religion, having not taken Greek or Hebrew, I had along the way picked up some Greek phrases, some Greek words, a few Hebrew things and that, and knew just enough to be really, really dangerous. And so after we spent an incredible time in Israel, on the way home, we stopped in Greece, and I thought, this is my opportunity to use some of these Greek words that I've learned, some of these Greek phrases that I've held on to. And I told my brother, he, my brother's brilliant. I mean, he's, he got his, his, his degree, he got his master's, he got his doctorate, he's amazing. So I'm going to speak Greek. So we land in Athens, and uh, the plane is out on the tarmac. We have to walk across the tarmac to get into the terminal. And as I'm walking across the tarmac, I see a, a worker, uh, an airport worker, and I uh, figure he's Greek, and so this is my opportunity. And so I'm reaching down, and we had just done this church history stuff through the Reformation, and I remembered these solas, and I said, sola fide, and he just looked at me. And my brother, who's very, very smart, said, Bob, that's Latin. Oh, man. In trying to look very, very smart, I ended up looking very, very foolish. So we have been looking at these five Latin phrases called the solas, and they're not just phrases. They're actually pillars. They're the framework of the Reformation. They're these different statements that talk about when the church, when the leaders start drifting off, these are like signposts. These are like uh, markers that put us back to true north so that we don't lose our way. And these are the five that we've been looking at. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, and Soli Deo Gloria. This whole sola thing is alone or only. Only scripture, only faith, faith alone, by grace alone, Christ alone, to God be the glory alone. And the reformers saw these as a piece of a whole individual, yes, but they were all of one, that upon the authority of scripture, they recognized that salvation is um, in Christ alone, by faith, by grace, through faith, and all that goes to God's glory alone. Now, we've been looking at some of these uh, for the first couple weeks of the series. Pastor Brian and I talked about Soli Deo Gloria last week. Pastor Kip uh, gave us a, the scripture, the authority of scripture. Today, I want us to look at this one, Sola Fide. Not a Greek phrase, a Latin phrase. Sola Fide, by faith alone. And this one, probably more than the others, this one was the catalyst for the Reformation. This was the one that sparked, the spark that ignited the Reformation. It was not just as faith alone, but more specifically, justification by faith alone. We'll get into this here, uh, here in a few minutes, but it's justification by faith alone. And this is the one that Martin Luther said, the church stands or falls on this doctrine. Where we land on this one will determine if we stand or if we fall. It is, we are saved, we are justified by faith alone. The church had been teaching, yes, you're justified by faith and works by faith and 
time spent in purgatory, by faith and significantly indulgences that buys your way out of the works and the time spent in, in purgatory. And as Martin Luther was reading scripture, he said, no, 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 it's faith plus nothing. Not plus works, not plus time in purgatory, not plus indulgences. And as he was reading, especially in studying the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, he found that as what, what Paul was writing about faith and about justification, that there was this little phrase that Paul would use repeatedly. It was like a phrase, like this obscure little phrase out of one of the minor prophets. And Paul, used, he keeps coming back to it. It's out of the, out of the book of Habakkuk. And, and, and I, I know you've been reading Habakkuk a lot lately, but every time I say that word Habakkuk, and some of you were raised saying Habakkuk, you're wrong. But in Habakkuk, every time I say that word, I think about that Billy Joel song where you say, you trade your Chevy for a Cadillac. You ought to know by now. Yeah, and I always think, Habakkuk, you ought to know by now. Good message for us. You ought to know by now. Habakkuk. Anyway, um, so that, that has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just, I've ruined Habakkuk for you now. But as he's reading through Romans, he's reading through Galatians, he sees how Paul quotes this little phrase out of Habakkuk chapter 2 where it says, the righteous will live by faith. They will live by faith. Now, as I mentioned uh, three weeks ago, we started this. This True North series that we're in this December is not your typical Advent Christmas season series. We're not, you know, not talking about wise men and, and different stars and mangers and such in the season leading up to it. However, I think as we understand this and as we lean into and embrace these five sola, that we will have a deeper, richer, sweeter worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate this year. And that is my desire, my prayer, and never even more so than today as we look at this whole concept of sola fide. But to tie it in with the Christmas story, in Matthew's account of the, the Christmas narrative, Joseph is this young man, middle-aged man, we don't know how old he was, but this man who is filled with probably frustration, confusion, heartache, sadness, maybe anger, um, disappointment, because this woman whom he loves, this woman who has always been righteous and upright and chaste and their relationship has been so, is pregnant. And it's so confusing to him and it's so disappointing, it's so heartbreaking that he decides he's just gonna end this relationship but out of respect for her and love for her, he's gonna do it quietly. And Matthew gives the account as Joseph goes to bed again one night, probably sleepless nights, troubled, he finally drifts off to sleep and the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Many of you are familiar with this. You can read it in Matthew chapter one. And the angel says, this is of the Lord. Take her to be your wife. And then he, the angel gives to Joseph some specific instructions regarding this child. It says this, she will give birth to a son. Okay, he's got a 50-50 chance on that one regardless. But, and you are to give him, and here's where it gets really specific. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say you will give him the name Jesus and he will save his people. This word because links these two things together, links this name Jesus with this saving people together. You're calling him Jesus because of this. And it's interesting how he ties these two together. Now the name G Jesus is very significant. As we talk about a lot around here, when you see names in the Bible, very often, most often, they're significant. There's a message that goes with them. And Jesus is, is no different. 
Jesus is actually a name that is lifted from a story in the Old Testament. It's, a, it's an Old Testament name. Now, some of you are saying, oh, wait a second. I've never read the name Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, that's because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, and so there's this transliteration of the name. Jesus is the transliteration of the Old Testament name, Joshua. So you have Jesus and Joshua. They're the same name. It's like saying, my friend William, his mom always calls him Guillermo. Well, it's the same name. Guillermo is Spanish, William is English, but it's the same name. Jesus is Greek, Joshua is Hebrew. And then when you go to the etymology of this word, this name Joshua, it's actually the compilation of two different words that sends a message. There's the Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And I don't want to get too far down this road, but some of you are familiar with the Tetragrammaton, this, these four letters, the unspeakable name of God, yod Hey vav Hey. Anytime in your Bible that you see the word Lord and it's all in capitals, that's Yahweh. That's these four letters. Anytime it's capital L with lowercase, you don't care about this, do you? Uh, okay, I'm way off. That, that's Adonai. Anyway, separation. Okay, so this is Yah, Yah. It's short for Yahweh. And some of you are saying, no way, to which Kip would say, Yahweh. Yahweh. All right. And then the other half is Shua, which comes from Yeshua, which means to save or is salvation. So the name Joshua literally means the Lord is salvation, the Lord saves. So when the angel appears to Joseph in the dream, it says, you will name him Jesus. It's not just a name, it's a mission. It's his purpose, it's what he's gonna do. You're calling him Jesus because he is the Lord and he will save. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He's the fulfillment of all the longings, all the hopes and all the, the dreams of, of Israel. And he will be saved. Now, as we've been talking about Luther, his followers, the Lutherans, uh, he was from Germany, but his influence spread throughout uh, Europe, even into Sweden and, and Norway, and they led all the way to Minnesota. <laughs> and they realized this, and they said, Yahshua, you betcha. <laughs> and that's where they understood this. Now, now that's not biblical, that's just Minnesotan, for those of you who are from Minnesota. Now, when, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, hey, this is good news. Today in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. And some say, yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, big deal. Hold that thought. If I'm driving down the road, some of you are aware of this, I am not mechanically inclined at all. If I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden my car starts making some weird noises and some lights start flashing on the dashboard and then all of a sudden there's smoke or steam coming out of the, the hood, while I'm not mechanically inclined, I'm smart enough to know I probably shouldn't keep driving. So I will, if that happens, I will pull off to the side of the road and then I will do what every man will do. I'll get out, lift up the hood and look and state something obvious. That's a fan belt, that's not the problem. Beyond that, I'm lost. At that point, if someone pulls over and they're coming to help me and they walk up to me and I say, do you know anything about cars? And they say, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Great, I don't need an orthopedic surgeon at that point. Go on your way, go change a hip, all right. Someone else pulls up, they say, do you need some help? I say, do you know anything about this? Well, I'm a Juilliard trained musician. Wonderful, I don't need a concert, go play the piano. I need someone that can help my situation. Someone pulls up and says, I'm a mechanic, that's good news. 
And we don't understand how good of news this is when the angel said, this is good news, a savior has been born, until we understand our need for a savior. If we don't understand that, it will not be good news. Now listen, again, I wanna be sensitive. We're here in the Northwest, way up north in the Northwest. Some of our brothers and sisters come down from Canada. Let me just kinda include you in this. It's your need for a save your. (laughs) Eh? All right, now. Our need for a savior. We need this. And see, this is why the gospel is offensive. Because we know we're not perfect, but we don't think we're that bad. Yeah, 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 I, okay, I've made some mistakes along the way, but, but really, I mean, I, I'll, do some, I'll do better, and, and, and next time it'll be different, and, and I promise, and, and, and I'm, look at me, I'm at church. I mean, that's gotta count for something, or I'm watching online, that's gotta count for something. Yeah, I mean, whatever it might be, and we don't think we're that bad. And we get to this point where we point out our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, we can always find someone that's way worse than we are. Yeah, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like, okay. Here's the truth about every one of us. You are not as bad as you could be, but you're as bad off as you will ever be. You're dismissed. (laughs) You're not, you could be worse, you could do more things, but apart from Jesus, you're as bad off as anybody. And the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, I want you to understand that the launching pad for the good news is to understand how bad the bad news is. So in Romans chapter three, he does this mashup. He does this compilation, this medley of verses he grabs throughout the Old Testament. He says, you think you're doing so great? He says, let me tell you what scripture says about you in in Romans chapter three. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Merry Christmas. Aren't you glad you came to church? Don't you love how the word of God just lifts your spirits? So encouraging, makes me feel better about myself. He says, you think you're so good, you're not, you don't realize how bad you are. If this is a naughty or nice list, you don't come close to making it on the nice list. You don't even, you're so bad, you don't even get coal in your stocking. I mean, you're so bad, you get a Peloton cycle in your stocking. That's how bad you are. And he says, this is the bad news, that we are, we are messed up and we are without. That's why we, we need to understand that every one of us needs a savior. We don't need a coach. We don't need a motivational speaker. We need a savior. And this is where our greatest need, the Christmas story, and this sola fide all converge together in this perfect storm, this perfect conversion zone, where when we grasp this, when we understand these things, it will enhance our worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul got it, Luther got it, and I pray that we get it as well. So Paul, he's studying scripture, or uh, Luther's studying the writings of Paul in scripture, and I mentioned Galatians and Romans, and in Galatians, uh, he reads where Paul writes this, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, and then he quotes what book? Come on now, you ought to know by now. 
Habakkuk, yes, of course. If nothing else, you'll get that word. All right. So he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. A few verses later in verse 24, he says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. In both of these words, you, you hear about the law, you hear about being justified, and you hear about faith. And this is this theme that he has in this. And the whole concept of being justified, that's a legal term. It, it was used in, in a court when there was a charge brought or charges brought against somebody. When there was guilt after the trial, the judge would make a decision and the judge could justify that person. In this situation, the charges brought against us are our sins against a holy God. And every single one of us have these. We're guilty. But it says that this, this holy God, he justifies us. To be justified is to be declared righteous. It's to be declared that we have a right standing with God. And it's by faith. That's what Paul understood. That to be, to be right before God, to have a right standing before God, even though we have charges against us and guilt in our lives, that we are justified by faith. You see, every time we have, we, and I'm talking about humanity, has sinned against God, we run. We, we hide. I mean, it starts with Adam and Eve. They go and they hide because of their guilt, because of the charges brought against them, because of the sins. I mean, as kids, we played the game hide and seek. And hide and seek, you go and you hide, and, and it's, you're afraid of being caught by it, that it would tag you. And so there's fear, and there's hiding, and there's shadows, and, and, and running away. And all that happens until someone bellows out that great Scandinavian bovine emancipation statement. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. Liberate the cows. Whatever it means. And at that point, we know we can come out of hiding. We no longer have to cower in the shadows of fear that we are free to come home. And this justification, God in a divine sense, he says, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to live in fear of it and being tagged. You are free to come home. Another uh, way of looking at this is in a moral bank account, spiritually speaking, we are all overdrawn. We've spent everything that was in our account. We've overdrawn. Now there's fees, there's penalties, there's interest. Not only do we have nothing in our account, there's a negative balance. There's all this against us. And somewhere along the line, to be justified is not just to wipe away the debt and to put it to a zero balance. To be justified, to be in this right standing with God is not just to clear away the debt, but it's to fill our account with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And then he follows it up in verse 17 and says, for in the gospel, good news, anytime you read the word gospel, you can just go ahead and insert good news. If it's not good news, it's not the gospel. In the good news, a righteousness, that's our right standing with God, a right standing with God that is from God is revealed a right standing that is by faith from first to last just as it is written and here again he quotes a book out of the old testament the righteous will live by faith for paul to write this is an amazing thing and these four words 
from God by faith. From God by faith change everything. That our righteousness, our right standing, our justification, it's not from what I've done by my efforts. It's not from the church by their declaration. It's not from a pope by some indulgence that was bought. It is from God by faith. Will you just hear Skagit, uh, would you just say those four words with me? From God by faith. One more time. From God by faith. For the Apostle Paul to say this is an amazing transformation that took place in his understanding. And when he writes to the church in Philippi, he talks about, really, if anyone could be deemed uh, righteous, could be justified by their own actions, it would have been Paul. Because, I mean, he was like a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a professional rule keeper. He knew all the laws of the Old Testament. He loved all the laws of the Testament. He was so intentional. Every day he would wake up and say, how can I keep the laws? All the way through, he said, I was, I was legalistic. I was, I was immaculate in my, my rule keeping, my laws, and all that. All this that I've done on my own. And at the end of that, he gets to this point where he says, you know, but, but whatever was to my gain, I consider loss for the case of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, all this goodness, all this self-righteousness you know, righteousness and all of his keeping of the laws, he says, I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And then he concludes it this way. It's the righteousness that that comes from God and is by faith. For Paul, who of all people could say, I'm justified, I'm declared righteous by my deeds, by my actions, by my life. He's saying, no, 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 that's all garbage compared to what we have from God and by faith. When he understood that, it changed his entire life. When Luther understood that, it changed his entire life. It sparked the Reformation. When we truly grasp that, faith plus nothing is our justification in Christ, it will change our lives. So in the remainder of our time uh, today, I want to just look at, revisit a passage that we spent some time in a year and a half ago when we studied through the book of Romans. If you have your Bible or devices, turn to Romans chapter 3. Very, very familiar passage for some of you, but I want us to go through it again because it just lays this out. Remember earlier in Romans chapter 3, Paul has already told us that none of us seek God, none of us are righteous, we're all worthless. He just starts off with, with that bad, bad news. He says, okay, we got that clear, now let's get going here. Romans 3, verse 20. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous, that's justified, you know, have this right standing with God. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. You might be thought of being righteous by your mama because she thinks you can do no wrong or by your family and friends because you're a good person, and that's wonderful. But in the sight of God, who sees everything, motives, thoughts, words, actions, he knows it all, you're not gonna be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, by, by keeping the rules. Rather, he says, through the law, 
we became conscious of sin. Here's what Paul understands. I mean, he's, he's devoted his life to the law, and he says, and I have wrestled with it. I fought the law and the? Yeah. And somebody's saying, what's that about? You're born too late, I'm just telling you. He said, let me tell you what the law did. The law shined a spotlight on how insufficient, how inadequate, and how, how um, in my inability, I couldn't do it. On my own, I don't have what it takes. I can't be good enough. I can't make up for all of my past sins. I can't do that. He says, that's what the law did. It leaves us with more bad news. You know, there's a, an interesting word that, that kind of reverses things in a good and a bad way. It's the word but. Let me give you an example. Maybe you've heard a statement like this. You know, you're a really great guy. And we have a lot of fun together. And I like you. But, that negates everything that was just said, right? Because no one says, but, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. No, 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 it's, but, we can still be friends. It's not you, it's me. Okay, okay, fine. Hey, you're really great. You fit in good here. You, you seem to really take to this. You're, you're making improvements here in this workplace. But, oh. You know, we're going to make an adjustment. We're going to make some changes. It's kind of got this, everything it said, but ah, negates everything. It reverses everything. But the converse is true. Because Paul has laid out all this negative stuff. None of us are righteous. We can't do it on our own. The law doesn't help. It just points out how bad we are. And then he says, but, whoa, wait a second now. You're saying there is a chance. But now, not like it was, now a righteousness, a right standing. And there's this part where it's like, tell me more. Okay, this is sounding good. This, I'm hoping. But a righteousness from God, not from you, apart from the law, not about keeping rules. A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. There's this new way of doing things. And God has brought it and he's revealed it. And you ought to know by now, he says, to which the law and the prophets testify. All of that stuff in the old covenant, it was pointing to one who would fulfill it. It was pointing to the one who would be sufficient. It was pointing to the one who would take all of that. It was all pointing to Jesus. And now, now it's really clear. Now you begin to understand. Now it's revealed. And he goes on. He says this. This righteousness, here we go again, from God comes through what? Keeping the Ten Commandments, working really, really hard, promising you'll never mess up again, next time it'll be different, committing to this. Any guesses what the next word might be? Yeah. Comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To who? To those who show up to church every Sunday. <laughs> to those who don't just come on Christmas Eve to those who don't just stay home in their pajamas and watch online. <laughs> to those who are loving and nice to their pastor. <laughs> to those who volunteer, to those, no, no, no. To all who believe. See, when we really grasp this and it grabs a hold of us, this is good news. This is really good news. Because what it says is, our right standing with God 
does not come by behaving our way into that, but by believing what Christ has already done. See, this right standing, our justification with God, it cannot be achieved, it must be received, and that receiving is by faith. It's not about trying harder, it's about trusting completely. It's not about what I'm gonna do or what I can do or what I should do or what I ought to do, it's what Jesus has done. It's because of the goodness of our God who sends his son. And Paul just wants them to understand this as he's writing these words. And it's almost like he said, okay, okay, I, I just, I just, I, I need to reiterate this. I want to make sure it's clear. And so he kind of circles back around and says, let's go through this again. And he gets to this point. This is the verse that most of us are really familiar with out of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, okay, let's start back over again. For all, that's all, have sinned. Remember what I told you earlier this chapter. There's none righteous, none that were pursuing God. You know, none, we're all worth, all have sinned. And you could add the word all. All fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all failed. That's the bad news. Remember, that's the launching pad for the good news. Because in verse 24, and you could again say, and all are justified made right, given this right standing, declared righteous before God, freely by his grace, that's next week, sola, uh, sola gratia, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's solus Christus. So those are next week. We'll get to those. But this is the good news. We're all on our own without hope. But because of what Christ has done, we're all invited in to a right standing with God. We're all together in the same boat that's sinking and we're all allowed to come on to the boat that's saving. Timothy Keller put it this way. In Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals, equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved. The playing field is equal. Let me just push pause here and just, and maybe this is more for me and some of us who've been walking with God for a long time than anybody else. But sometimes in the church, especially if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, and especially if the Holy Spirit has been transforming us, and especially as, we, if we've, been, as we've been pursuing God and Christ-like character and, and the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and, and a holy lifestyle, sometimes we can become a bit judgmental of others, especially if whatever sin they wrestle with is not a sin that we wrestle with. And we can be condemning and look down, and we need to be reminded yet again that apart from Jesus Christ, we're as bad off as anyone has ever been. We've received this gift not because of anything we've done, not because of how we've lived, not because of what we gave up. It's from God, and it's by faith. And we of all people ought to be the most generous, gracious people. The lack of judgment, and the lack of condemnation, longing for people to understand this good news because we all need a Savior. Amen? And that goes to me more than probably anybody else.
All right, so verse 25, he says this. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Here we go again. Through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. You know, we were all guilty. There are charges brought against us. God would not be a just God if he just said, ah, don't worry about it. There needs to be justice. And it goes on in verse 26. Read that on your own. But it shows that he is not only just, but he's the justifier. He says, yes, there is guilt. But I'll take care of that guilt and the punishment that that guilt deserves, I'll put on my son, Jesus Christ. And he will take that on. When you begin to understand this, this concept of faith alone, this concept of being justified by faith, it's not just wishful thinking, it's a, it's a confident assurance. It's not just, I hope this is right, I, I, I'm wishing this could be true. God says, this is from me through my son, Jesus Christ. You can count on me and my son. You can have confident assurance that this is for you. And it has been taken care of. And your faith is what brings you into this right relationship. All right, so he says, verse 27. Okay, so then, where then is the boasting? I mean, who's gonna be able to say, well, let me tell you why God's got me in his, on his team. You know, I mean, I went to Sunday school. I was an Awana kid. I did VBS. I did CCD. I did, you know, whatever initials I can come up with. And I, I, I memorized the books. I mean, he says, really? You're gonna say it's because of what you did? That's where your boasting's gonna be? You know, on, on what principle? On, on keeping the law? You think that was it? I kept the Ten Commandments, so God's lucky to have me on his team and he's gonna let me in heaven because I've done these things. Do you know, repeatedly, Scripture says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not because of me. He says, no, no, it's on that of faith of what Jesus has done. That's who I'll boast in. Why do I get to be on God's team? Why do I get to be in his family? Because I put my trust in what Jesus has done on my behalf. Not because of me. And then he comes to this conclusion in verse 28. He says, for we maintain that a man is justified, declared righteous, and right standing with God by faith apart from observing the law. You know, in uh, 1522, Martin Luther published uh, a German translation of the New Testament and so that the common folks could have it. And it was an interesting thing on this verse 28, and it became quite controversial, and, and I think he was wrong in doing this, but I understand why he did. In the Luther Bible in, that he published, in Romans 3.28, he added a word. Not a good thing to do. But he added a word because of how far the church, the pope, the priests, the believers had drifted to bring them back to true north. In his New Testament, he wrote it this way. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, and he threw in an extra word, alone, apart from observing the law. That's the truth. Sola fide, by faith alone. Don't need to add to the word of God. Just need to understand it. And he continues on, uh, Paul continues on throughout Romans and he gets to Romans chapter five, gets to the kind of this conclusion and says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. See this phrase? That we have a right standing with God. We are reconciled. There's not this fear because we trust and believe in what Jesus has done. And God says, Merry Christmas. I give that to you. Not because of anything. It's my gift to you. And before we get all high-centered on, well, so it's just it's all about my faith. It's the object of our faith. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Joshua. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord saves. And it's by faith. You know, in Jude chapter 20, uh, verse 24 and 25, it says this. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. You can't do that one on your own. To him who can present you in his righteousness alone, present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. And this is what I want us to do now. With great joy. With hearts that are filled with gratitude and worship. Giving all of the glory and the majesty and the power to our God, to our Lord Jesus Christ to worship, to celebrate, to remember that it is by faith.